Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, welcome to the Ruler Podcast. The latest edition of the magazine, 17.8, is guest edited by one of the most colourful characters in the pro peloton. Quickstep DS, Brian Holm. He's a man with strong views about pretty much everything, and we'll be hearing some of them later on. We'll also be checking in with David Miller on his new film, Time Trial, about life as a pro bike racer. But we start with one of the brightest young British talents of recent years, Theo Geegan Hart of Sky Pro Cycling. Rouleur's Ian Cleverly caught up with him in a noisy cafe in Girona. You know, Girona, where the pros go for the open roads and the warm Spanish sun. Well, not at the moment, apparently. Definitely had a couple of days of pretty freezing temperatures. I think it was minus three or four last night, so I was a bit nervous heading out this morning. Uh, it was going to be ice everywhere, but it wasn't too bad. Actually, it was actually a beautiful day. Um, it was pretty warm down at the coast, but yeah, it's been been a bit of a wet spell. I think the last couple of years actually been really good but I remember the first couple winters I was here it was really cold and there was quite a bit of ice and stuff so I always actually laugh when Brits come here for winter like short winter camps because if I got on a plane for over two hours I'd want to go somewhere guaranteed warm and it can be in between here you never know quite what it's going to be like in winter you can get three four days of driving rain so yeah well it was was quite an eye-opener for me because I've never been here in the winter so I was like sitting in the apartment yesterday just being totally miserable thinking I'm not going to go out in that but uh, did, did you get caught out in the rain? Yeah, two days ago I was halfway up a climb about an hour from home and uh, it started snowing well not even halfway up I was about 200 metres above sea level um, but it started snowing um, so me and my training partner quickly descended and took refuge in a cafe and were happy drinking a coffee and eating a bocadillo and then uh looked outside and it just got a whole lot worse and continued to get worse and worse over the next half an hour so we eventually had to drag ourselves back out there and against our own will and it was yeah, pretty gruesome 55 minutes home I'm sure I don't need to give details to anyone that lives in England they would have experienced it at some time or another but yeah reminding myself what minus two and uh, driving rain feels like and it wasn't too pleasant <laughs> It's not a bad thing to be reminded of. You know, you don't want to go soft, do you? I always used to try and start my winter in England, in London, um, and do a week or ten days um, in England so that when I came back here, I remembered just how good it was. 
uh, bit of perspective. Um, Craven's, Dan Craven's wedding messed those plans up this year, so I was first rides back here. Um, but I'm sure I'll get a good bit of perspective over, over Christmas, so no bother there. <laughs> season just gone as your first season with Team Sky. Um, fair few race days. Yeah, it was great. I think uh, it was 80 race days in the end, which is a nice round number. Uh, not quite as many as some of the older heads of the peloton, um, but no, it's good. I've always kind of chased race days the last couple of years, just because I think that's how you learn and that's how you improve. Um, it's not necessarily the best way to be in top, top condition. Um, like you see with the big Grand Tour riders, they take a month between races sometimes to really train and fine tune and focus on things they need to in training, which like I just said before, you can't do in races. But for me this year was really about learning and, and the aim in the beginning of the year was to be consistent all year and kind of be ready for the inevitable odd opportunity that would arise. I knew it would, something would come up. Uh, there's always a, an injury or someone has a change of program or you know some circumstance where there isn't a big leader at a race and, and inevitably it happens so the aim was to be ready for that all year and to do my job all year and to also do yeah a big variety of races and, and almost everything was new I mean I think Mallorca, California and Britain off the top of my head were the only races I'd done previously so it's really nice visiting new places, new parkours, new climbs and yeah, it's something special with cycling where you get to do all this amazing travelling and see all these different countries and all over the globe. So it's, I really enjoyed this year and I feel like racing a lot kind of just let me experience a wide variety of roles and a wide variety of leaders. Because I think I was talking with someone about it today, like you can go from one race to the next, maybe two days between doing a similar job. but because it's for a different guy, a different leader, you end up doing something very different, even though it's kind of the same role. Uh, they want it delivered in a different way, so that was really uh, insightful. And Yeah, I think we have a lot of great guys to kind of get behind in the sky and had a lot of fun. I'm thinking the last time I saw you was actually at the Hammer Series, which, which you guys won. Um, um, that looked like a, a giggle. I don't know, it's a, it's a new race, isn't it? So we didn't quite... As riders, we'd come in, we'd all, you know, I'd been at Tour of California like six days before or something, so it's not like you're sat studying the rules or kind of getting your head around stuff. You've got big races coming, we had the Tour de Suisse five days, four days later, and we just got back from California, so we were all there, like getting the race book for the first time, trying to understand how it worked. And like most races, you just come in, you look at the parkour, you look at what riders you have, and it's pretty simple, that's that cut and done but with this with it being the first edition I think I actually really liked how the organisers were were really open that they were looking to tweak stuff and they, they didn't believe they had a perfect finished product and they were really open for feedback and yeah I think in the end it transpired that a lot of people really enjoyed the race and it was something new um, and something interesting and not just new for the sake of being different for the sake of being new um, and the big point for me was that a lot of people watched it who don't normally watch bike racing and I think they did an amazing job uh, Velon and, and Hammer Series of, of getting it out there with the guys at GCN on Facebook on 
I don't know however many I was racing, so I don't know where else it was. But I think a load of people that don't watch that many races said to me they'd watched it, and that's a great thing for the sport. Like that's really that's the way the sport progresses and brings in a new, younger, different generation of fans, or brings in a more international fan base. I mean, there was loads of Japanese fans saying that they'd watched it um, and really loved it. So. They don't get to watch tons of racing because it's a weird time of day for them. So it was really good, I think. Yeah, we actually, in the end, had a lot of fun. And obviously, winning it makes it more memorable for sure. But I've seen that video a few times played like, at events and stuff the last couple of weeks in the off-season. And it's like, wow, that was a you know, good, good way for it to end as, as the first edition. Girona FC, have you managed to get along with Seedham and Action? They're, they're punching well above their weight, aren't they? I haven't, but I've seen uh, quite a few Premiership uh, staff and ex-Premiership players and stuff at the train station when I'm going to races because they're all checking out what Girona are doing so well with their tiny budget. And There's quite a few, um, I don't think many of them are British, but there's quite a few uh, players from the youth systems of a few British clubs that are on loan there or training with them and stuff. So I really wanted to, I've really been trying to um, get down to Montville and watch a match, but I haven't managed to yet, so hopefully soon. Um, Monday night, 9 o'clock, game on. There we go, yeah. Uh, next big one for me is Arsenal-Liverpool just before Christmas, so that's the main priority is getting into the Emirates, but it's not the easiest thing to do in the world. <laughs> I think Girona are actually doing better than Arsenal these days, mate, sorry to say that. But... I don't know, we're above Spurs in the league, that's all that really matters, isn't it? Teo Geekenhart. Time Trial, the film about life as a pro cyclist through the prism of David Miller's final season as a pro, was premiered at a documentary festival in Amsterdam last month. It's been a long time coming. The heart of the film, of course, was meant to be Miller's last Tour de France. He planned to spend July 2014 saying farewell to the race which was so central to his career. Fate and Jonathan Vorters had other ideas, but the cameras kept rolling and the film is now ready for a wider audience. What is impressive is we managed to actually capture a lot of racing stuff and really made it. It is a cycling experience. I think it's something that, from, I was messing with Dave Zabriskie today because Dave saw the, the trailer and he's like, wow, it's good. And I think if the pro cyclists can watch it and go, yeah, that's what we do, that's what we did for us that are retired, I think that, that will be success because I don't think anyone's ever really captured professional bike racing, what it's like to be a bike racer in a race, outside of a race, inside the mind and that's very much what time trials about and it was the the your last season as a pro it's still based around that yeah i mean it ended up uh, being that because we ran out of time if you like <laughs> oh, and it, to be honest we tried the years before but nobody helped us race organizers didn't help us my team wasn't cooperative it was a, a real labor of love and and kind of often felt like we were banging our head against the wall so when it came to my final year racing, I'd announced it the year before, so we knew. Um, I think everyone just thought, no, let's just do this. Let's just push this through and make sure we can do this. Otherwise, it's been years of work for nothing. So it was actually because of it being my final year that, it, that we managed to get it done. And of course, the assumption was, certainly uh, at the start, that uh, it was going to centre around your last Tour de France as well. But that didn't happen. No, it didn't. And it, in many ways, it's actually made the story better. Um, and it, it gives it a real sort of uh, undercurrent of, of drama and uh, yeah it just makes it a little bit more sort of tragic in a way and, and it's, it's much more representative of what being a professional cyclist is like it's like my book The Racer it's uh, 
the end is never pretty for professional cyclists. We tend to sort of die very sort of a slow deaths, and a, and that this really captures. So it's quite good. It would have been a bit of a. It's better than it being a glory fest and a and a kind of sycophantic, narcissistic kind of kind of homage to me. It's uh, it's definitely not that. It's uh, it's very much. It's actually pretty. It's pretty brutal about me, but it, but that does make it good. What did it feel like when you sat down and watched it for the first time, or watched the sort of complete version of it for the first time? The final finish one it was only a couple of months ago that I watched it, and it was just a mixed. It was mixed emotions. I mean, it's, it's very intimate, obviously, but it's it was just like, yeah, we did it. This is we've done it. We actually made the film that we always hoped we could make, and uh, and that's a, a wonderful sense of achievement and and because there was a while there where we didn't know if it was going to pull together, where it was getting a bit too arty, if you like, whereas we managed to pull it back and, and turn it into a proper proper film. From when I first met Finley Pretzel, who's the director, uh, it's 10 years. So that's how long these projects take, I mean, from kind of conception to, to delivery. It's, and then still it's going to be longer, because it won't be till 2018 when it's on general release. The events are a few years ago as well now. When you look at it, do you think, God, did you know? Did I really look like that? Was it really like that at the time? Well, yeah, it's, I look young, and there's no doubt about that. F- film's a very powerful medium. You know, I mean, I've written Racing Through the Dark, I've written Racer. So there's two books about me and my career in professional cycling, and yet this is something completely different. It's a completely different art form. It's, it's, it's much more, well, it's more powerful. It's, uh, it's more accessible. Um, and, and I think that, that comes across, it does, because we do have archive footage in it as well. So we have a segment where it does paint the picture of my, my full backstory, etc. But it's all done in archival. There's no talking heads. Nobody else ever talks about me, which is quite rare for a documentary. Normally you've got kind of people giving their, giving their piece. But the only person is Thomas Decker, who was my roommate of that last year. And that's kind of almost more of an abstract form. So he actually turns into almost the wise man in the film. And how did you actually, or how did you know, Finley and his team actually capture the, the, the racing? Uh, we're a mixture. So we were the first ever, um, we pushed through cameras on bikes. We were the test project for the UCI. So that was kind of our, our original kind of achievement because nobody had ever, it was, it was banned before we did it. So we got cameras on bikes and I was wearing a microphone the whole time as well. So a kind of a professional grade microphone, so we're capturing sounds. So that was one thing, that was me covered and... and this sort of on the bike, uh, on the bicycle sort of experience. But then we had another thing, we had a motorbike which was fully rigged up with cameras 360 around it with a steady cam platform in the back with a, with a cameraman, with the director of photography, uh, Martin Radich, who was on the back controlling that and facing backwards with full, uh, full cinematic kind of capabilities. And that was, that's the really kind of USP to it. We've captured footage of racing that nobody's ever seen before. And it's just stunning. I mean, it's such a kind of a, a visual delight in that respect. David Miller. The latest edition of Rouleur magazine has a guest editor, the Danish former pro turned director sportif Brian Holm. Brian had a long career as a pro rider through the 90s, most notably with Telecom, where he helped fellow Dane Bjarne Ries to his questionable tour victory in 1996. Since then, he's been a successful director sportif for the past five years with Quickstep. 
When I caught up with him at the Ruler Classic, he was in optimistic mood about next year's Grand Tours. Ah, it's going to be quite exciting, you know, with Marcel winning four stages or five, I can't even remember. You want to beat in Tour de France this year, and uh, when you're winning that many stages, you always start to think about what about next year, because it's just damn difficult to win a stage in Tour de France, even with guys like Marcel, I mean... A sprinter, when he starts to win, he gets good morale, and then it's easier for the second and the third one. And uh, sort of when he was winning number three or four, we said, I was looking at Tom Steele's, my colleague, and we say, wow, what, what are we going to do next year? We did the same a few years with Cavendish when he won five, six stages. You all thought like, wow, that's going to be a tough one next year. But uh, it's probably just about to enjoy the moments when you're winning. And uh, next year, I still think we have a good team. I mean, for Tour de France, I wouldn't be surprised if we got uh, Gaviria in. And I think, honestly, I say we really think he's the only guy who really can challenge uh, Sagan for the green jersey. I think he's a bit faster than Sagan, and he's climbing good, almost as Sagan when he got a bit of shape. So uh, uh, it's gonna be he's he, he gonna be good, and I think he's gonna pick a, a stage or two. And what about earlier in the season? Because, you know, although you're you know, a very good Grand Tour team, uh, that's what people always look to you for success in, isn't it? Ah, uh, quick step. I mean, I think when you say quick step, you think at the classics. I mean, we are a classic team. as in our DNA. And uh, the same with, uh, with uh, what they call the Aden Classic. You know, we have Alaphilippe for sure. Bob Jones, we have some very, very good kids coming up, and uh, I think Philippe, he was uh, three, four times second. He, he was busy the whole season. I mean, in the classics, he got his injury, of course, but he's good. He 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 gonna be ready also. And for the cobblestones, I'm not too sure if Gaviria is ready ready for for that yet. But for sure, we got also like riders Nicky Tepster. He gonna be there also, and we saw Stieber. I think he's gonna win the classic sooner or later. Monuments also like uh, he was second this year after Van Aermaat. Then we have a young uh, Yves Lampard coming up. Amazing. I think he's going to be close also. So I think I wouldn't say we're going to win a classic, you know, with Gilbert. I forgot to mention him. What, what he did this year was just amazing. You know, like how he was flying, you know, Phil. And next to that, he's just a fantastic person to, to work with. Always very, very optimistic. Amazing for the young kids, you know, really roll role model to, to, to work with Gilbert. He was, for me, the best surprise of the year. Not because he won two big classics, just because he's a good person. What's your sort of day-to-day role? Or what's, what's your de- role during the racing? Are you you're principally still in the car now? Are you? Uh, for the classic, I went to Quickstep because, of course, I noticed my boss, Patrick Lefebvre. I always noticed his staff. He always kept the same staff, remember? It was sort of a, maybe a little bit of, too romantic to call it like a family, you know, a happy little family, but of course that doesn't really exist. Might be the closest to coming to a good little family team, you know, where everybody look after each other. But you know, really chasing staff, mechanics on yours, sort of showing you you, you have a good a loyal staff and they like the boss. So I thought like, wow, this looked like a good team to join. I would like to be a part of a classic team because I was also like I used to live 14 years in Belgium, so I, I sort of knew every corner in Belgium. So uh, for me, it was obvious if I could go to Quickstep, I did it. So luckily, Patrick, he took me and uh, 
On the other hand, I realized afterwards also going to a Belgium team meant I didn't do any classics anymore because we got Wilfred Peters, Tom Steels, Patrick Lefebvre. I think together they won 10-11 or, or something like that, Paris-Roubaix. So they're really the masters of classics. So uh, most of the time it's just follow follow the classics on the television and on and off I go down there to see it with the team just to feel the, the atmosphere because the whole atmosphere of the classics is something you really can get addicted to. During the uh, the Grand Tours, what about then? I'd say a normal day in a Grand Tour would be like we have a meeting in the evening about next day tactic. In the morning I go to riders one by one discuss the tactic. Riders sometimes come with good input also. Uh, so we talked to the, the tactic with the riders and uh, they come in with their ideas and the final meeting where they actually know what we're going to say going to be in the bus. It's a bit of the show, the PowerPoint presentation of the last kilometers. And, uh, and we do the race, you win, you lose. Uh, we try to stay calm, just trying to stay calm. No, we lose it, don't yell. So you win that last 5-10 kilometers is always quite exciting, especially on the flat stages. Not only the flat, because this year we got Dan Martin also, who was going for the GC. And what he did, I think we have to mention Dan Martin also. And that's one of the toughest riders I ever worked with was, was Dan Martin. And it really hurt me, he's leaving the team, because again, such a gentleman, such a good role, role model. And we all know we saw his uh, crash and he broke his back, you know, and still he finished Tour de France. And I think he was number seven or eight. But with it, normally we take day by day, we're dividing like the, the roads. Sometimes uh, we didn't have too much to support than Martin this year. So the, most of the uh, support was going to, to Kittel till he dropped out. And then uh, Dan Martin got the rest of the team. How important uh, is the DS in the car? How important are the team staff in the car? What, di- How much difference can they make to riders? Uh, a DS task would always be to get like, uh, a psychologist would say, you know, you can train yourself, you can do like up to 99% and sometimes we have to help with the last percent to get it out to the riders. When they're really giving up, when they're sinking, it's not every day, but sometimes there's just like breaking down the riders, they're really losing it and then we have to give them a, a little bit kick in the butt. And uh, I think you always have to uh, remember you own sports directors. I always try to get the best of my sports directors I work with. And uh, old manager, Paul Desmet, I remember once I did Tour de France, probably 89. I have one of those days you wake up in the morning uh, your heartbeat supposed to be 40. You realize it's 78. You re- you know you didn't so really recover that day because you're just tired. You really feel like you have a flu that morning. You know, and uh, looking at the profile of the stage, you realize you're gonna do five mountains, and you say, "Oh dear!" Getting down to breakfast, you just can't eat. The first sign up for riders going down is you lose your appetite. You know, healthy people always have good appetite. So you always notice a little bit how much they're eating. If you stop eating, it's a sign they're getting tired. That day I couldn't eat back in 1989. Getting to the start, uh, you hope that goes slowly. Piano, the first climb, and uh, everything exploded. Kiapuchi attacked alone. We're chasing the whole day like 25 riders, I was really struggling. First climb, I started having a bit cramp, right leg. 
you concentrate, you're always counting one, two, three, four, you're pedaling strokes. You continue, try not to think about the cramp. You have cramp in the other leg, it's really painful. Uh, you do another 50 kilometers of cramp, it's getting into your back. You continue, but the worst thing was last climb, I have cramps in my arms. Really hard cramps in my arms. I think about six kilometers ago, I just went off my bike, laying down. And uh, the ambulance picked me up, you know, like put me into the ambulance. And uh, I was basically out of the tour. They put on uh, my bike on the on the neutral car, of what you call the Wutur Ballet. Suddenly, of course, the cramp was gone. You know, I got some uh, salt water, you know, from the doctors. And uh, suddenly my boss, Paul Desmet, he jumped in the ambulance, really yelling, inflammation, your feet back on your bike, are you fired? So pulling me out of the ambulance and really yelling at me like I was the worst comeback in the universe. I don't make it back on my bicycle, I make it to the finish line again. In the afternoon, I was laying in my bed, I was too, too tired to walk to the restaurant. And uh, he came into the room, he was just looking at me. And I didn't answer, he just kept on staring at me. And he said, you're not gonna say thank you? And I said, thank you for what? He said, today you gave up. You know, you just gave up. And I make you do it. Now you're still in, inside the tour, and now you're going to finish Tour de France. You get it? And he just looked at me and said, and you're never ever going to give up any more rest of your life. You got the message? And I was just said, yes. And I always think about it. You can always do a little bit more, but sometimes you need a little bit kick of the butt also, and that role will support the riders. And of course, when they start to stress, you know, sometimes... You can talk to writers, the press might write some bollocks about in the papers, you know, on the internet. They say like, ah, oh, we don't deserve it, why it's so hard to us? And you say like, well, I mean, don't mind the writing. Bad things about it, you just have to worry. The, the moment it doesn't write about you anymore, then you have a problem. Because they, they, they only write about you because you're sort of a star. And then you have to take the good and the best as part of cycling also. You work with some of the best sprinters in, in the peloton. Uh, do sprinters need a different approach with a different psychological approach? Everybody's different. I wouldn't say it's not the same system would work for 30 riders. Everybody's very, very different. And uh, most people know Mark Cavendish. is, I mean, for him, you could actually go in when you have a I remember 2010 probably was we started in Rotterdam going down to Brussels. It didn't go too well. We did a few points, but he, he just couldn't. He could not win. Bitaki won, and probably a few more won, and he couldn't get the first over. So with Cav, you can do stuff you, could, you don't do to other riders. You could really go like having your laptop, whatever. When Cav had massage, you would read loud the thing they wrote about him. You know, he eat too much. He's too much into fashion, whatever, you know. He's eating too many donuts, whatever. All the negative stuff. And with Cav is really working, eh? I mean, end of the ma massage, he gets so pissed off. Cav, he said, tomorrow, bunkers, tomorrow I'm going to smash them. I promise you, I promise you, I'm going to get so angry. And then he's going to win. So with Cav, when he's really, really angry, he's on his best. He really has so much energy. Most other riders, if you did like that, you would really break them down. I mean, most writers will say the right negative about you, don't read it, just ignore it. Don't get, don't read the comments on whatever, on the internet, whatever, Facebook, Twitter, you know, or uh, the papers. Just ignore it, but with Cabbage, really, is really uh, gasoline on fire with him. 
So everybody's very, very different how they're working. Brian Holm. And that's pretty much it for this edition. Last time on the podcast, we asked where Annemiek van Verlerten finished overall in the Giro Rosa. She won two stages, but she finished third. Gordon Cameron wins the Ruler t-shirt. There's another t-shirt up for grabs this month if you can answer this question. In 1991, Brian Holm won Parry Brussels and Parry Camembert. Who was he riding for? Which team was Brian Holm riding for when he won Parry Brussels and Parry Camembert? Go to the Ruler website, check out the page for this podcast. Full details on how to enter will be there. Good luck. Speak next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 